you may have, um, I, I don't know if anybody ever read through Leviticus. Um, encourage you to read through this book. Um, but uh, Leviticus, I think, can be a bit tough, a tough road to go. It's, uh, it's hard. Lots of unusual things happening in Leviticus, some strange kinds of laws that occur in this, in this book. Um, when you get to Leviticus chapter 16, however, you, you come to the greatest day in Israel's history. I, I want to look just at the first two verses and then at the last verse, and then we'll come back to, to some of the stuff that's in the middle. Um, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 1. Take a look or uh, maybe follow along in your Bibles where you're at, but it says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of, two of, son, two, of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses. Listen to that. Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Now there was one day every year, the day that, that's discussed in this particular chapter, when the high priest was allowed to go into or behind that curtain of the tabernacle or the temple and only that day could anyone go into there? Only that day. Um, and it could only be the high priest who went in. When you come to the end of the chapter, verse number 34, here's what Moses says. He says, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all of the sins of Israel. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. So this was an annual event that was intended to go on for as long as Israel waited for the Messiah, they were, they were waiting for the Messiah to come. It was this annual feast. It would, in fact, it still happens in, in, in Ju Judaism to this day, even though they don't offer the same sacrifice, they, they still ce um, celebrate this day. Um, maybe you hear it called Yom Kippur, uh, the Day of Atonement. Um, it, 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 it happens to come this year in September. It'll start on September 18th at sunset and it will last until the sunset on September 19th of this year. Now, it actually occurs not long after Rosh Hashanah, uh, which is the Jewish New Year, and that starts September 9th of this year, the Day, the day of Atonement. Uh, Yom Kippur is the beginning of the feast, uh, known though as the Feast of the Tabernacles, or the Feast of Tents. But it's that season of the year um, when Israel would set up tents in order to live in those tents for about seven days, as they did in the, in, in the days of the wilderness. But it's a reminder of when, when they were out there in the wilderness and they were journeying uh, by themselves, waiting to cross over into the promised land. And it was during that week of sacrifices that, they were, that, that there were literally hundreds of animals that were sacrifices, that were sacrificed. But on this day, this particular day, the Day of Atonement, there was one major sacrifice. Now, there, there were three animals offered, but, but there was one major sacrifice, and that was the sacrifice that we want to concentrate on today. Now, in order to get there, I, I, I just want to introduce some things to you so that you have kind of a mental image, at least, 
of what's going on here. So we're going to start with the priest, and you'll see some pictures up on the slide back here, and and uh, you know that way you can kind of see what's going on here a little bit. This would be a typical Jewish priest. It's kind of a little fuzzy, I think, maybe for you to see. Did everybody be able to see that? I'm glad I don't have to wear all this stuff. You know, it'd be crazy, but. Anyway, dressed here in some linen garb, some fancy uh, clothes. Uh, the breastplate that you see on the front of him, there's some, some precious stones that are on those things. Those all represent the 12 tribes of, of Israel. Um, but this was the fancy garb that would have been worn by the, the high priest as he represented God and as he represented the people of God. And on the Day of Atonement, he would wear that particular getup. Only part of the time, though. He starts out the day with wearing clean line, uh, queen, he would be uh, wearing clean white linen as a symbol of what's about to happen on the, t on the Day of Atonement. And all that began, of course, in the tabernacle. And what you're seeing here now on this next slide, this is a picture of kind of the, the tabernacle area. Um, and what you're seeing there is that the tabernacle ground. And you'll notice there is a courtyard there that's surrounded by a seven and a half foot fence. Uh, it's a linen fence, and it's about 150 feet uh, long and about 75 feet wide, and only the priesthood, not the high priest, but all of the priesthood, only the priesthood could enter into that area of the tabernacle um, grounds. Out in the front, if you look inside, right up there in the front of there, which I had a little pointer. Out in the front there, you'll see um, there is, uh, inside the gate there, there's an altar where that's where all of the sacrifices would have occurred. Just beyond that, back toward the tent, they, you'll see a, a bronze laver. You've got a couple guys, a couple dudes that are in that picture showing up right out the bronze laver, kind of, kind of like a bathtub it was typically. Uh, this, is, this is a bad picture. It kind of looked more like probably a bathtub, but it's where the priests would wash their hands. And beyond that is the building. Now, the next picture is a picture. It's just kind of a um, cross-section of that building, of the, of the temple itself. It was really a tent. I mean, it started out as a tent. It became um, it, the, the first half of that tent, or the, the first two-thirds of that tent, is what they would call the, the, um, um, the, the holy place. It's, it's where the priests went every day, and they would offer their sacrifices. But on, on one side of the building, there was a, a table. If you'll see on the farthest side over there on the right, you'll see a table, and that's where they had all the, they called it the showbread, and they would have, um, they would on, uh, had incense, a burner on it, which represents the, 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 the prayers of the, of the people. Um, um, on the other side of that, you'll see a candle stand and that, and those candle stands there it has seven lamps on it and it, it was lit daily and it represented God's voice um, but beyond that if you look at the last third of that beyond that and the big curtain that's there that was actually a really thick thick curtain um, but it's a it's a perfectly cube shaped room same size in every direction in every every direction it's called the most holy place or oftentimes we'll call it the mo or the holy holies but inside that um, room was the Ark of the Covenant. And inside that room, nobody ever went. 
except the high priest. And him, the high priest, only went in there one day per year on the Day of Atonement. He went there in order to, and you can change the slide here, he went over there in, in order to, to sprinkle blood on the ark. Now this ark here, I've got a couple of pictures of the ark. I wanted to kind of give you kind of an interesting thing here. The reason why I chose this picture is you kind of see the, the, the brightness surrounding right in here. Uh, remind that, remember about that right here a little bit later on when you think about the mercy seat, that's really what that is. But this is a, inside that box with the three objects that you see, you have Aaron's budding staff, you've got, you've got the, the Ten Commandments, uh, you've got a sample of the manna uh, that, that God uh, provided for them in the wilderness while they went through the wilderness uh, uh, those 40 years. Um, the top half of that is solid gold. You can switch the slide scenes. The top half of that is really solid gold. Um, everything else is gold overlaid. And then that represents, um, um, your, you've got two angels, you've got their wings that are, that are touching. And that, again, is known as the, as the mercy seat that's right in, in, that, in that area that's there. Um, it's the Ark of the Covenant. It's the lid. It's the, it's the cover. It, it, and in that spot between those wings, the glory of God would settle. It would glow like we saw. If you want to back that picture up once again. Yeah. We're talking bright. When Moses came into the presence of God, even when there was a cloud covering it, remember what we, we, his hair was all white and all that kind of stuff. So, so anyway, uh, when it was time for Israel to leave, that glow would actually leave the building and then it would become a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And it would move through the wilderness until it was time to stop and then the tent would, and, and <coughs> they, would, they would set up the tent again. When the tent was set up, that, settle, um, that would settle back down on the mercy seat and then no one was allowed in there because they that would have uh, would have been to uh, they would have had to been they would have went in they would have been in the presence of God directly and nobody can do that and live right um, so on this particular day on the day of atonement uh, we're going to walk into that room and we're going to see what happens when sacrifices are made on a single on 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 a single this single day of the year to atone for a year's worth of sins in the life of Israel. So look at chapter, Leviticus chapter 16. We're going to start with verse 3. So, for example, and look at what happens here when the day begins. Look at chapter, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 3. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area with a young bull for a sin offering <coughs> and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put the sacred linen tunic he is to put on the sacred linen, linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. He's going to enter into a system whereby he's going to offer a series of sacrifices. Uh, uh, the, the, the first sacrifice is the sacrifice of a bull. And then that bull is going to be the sin offering for Aaron himself. The, the priest has to, to first cleanse himself and his family before he can go in to offer the sacrifices for the people. And so he would offer this bull uh, as a sacrifice. And then he would take an incest burner and he'd take coal, coals from that altar uh, off of the altar out in the um, court. 
and from the front of the building, and he would go in with a cloud of those coals, burning coals, uh, smoke, cloud of smoke really, literally, to, he would go on to the other side of the curtain with that smoke, uh, the only place, of course, where no one else is allowed, but he's carrying that smoke in there, and that cloud of smoke was to cover the pre- presence of God so that he couldn't see God directly. Now, tradition says that the priest would either have a rope tied around his ankle or uh, tied around his waist or somehow um, because no one could go in there. And so, in other words, if something were to happen to him, they could, they had that rope and he's in there. And so, oh gosh, he must have had a heart attack and they could pull him out, you know, with the rope. Um, so, so he went in with this rope tied to him that in case something happened, they, they could pull him out. After he has taken his pot of incense in there and created this smoke covering, this smoke screen, he goes out and then he takes the blood and he goes back, uh, he goes back in, in um, the room. He sprinkles the Ark of the Covenant once on the cover and then seven times in front of it as a sin offering for the people. Now the remainder of the day is going to be a return outside to offer the goat offering the blood of that goat is going to be taken back inside, and it too is going to be sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant as a sign of a sacrificial death. And he'll come back out there, and, and there will be a, a, a scapegoat, which is what we're actually going to be talking about in just a minute. But once that scapegoat thing is done, sent out into the wilderness, then the, then the, the priest will then bathe, and, and then change clothes, and he'll put on his fancy linen garments that we showed you here at the beginning of this. And then he offers the ram sacrifice for the last sacrifice of the day. So I, I, I wanted you to kind of get a picture of how elaborate this is. It's, a, it's, a, it's an elaborate day that occurs, and in the middle of it is this offering of a goat that we've come to know as the what? Scapegoat. Take a picture of that. I think it's there. The next slide, please. Oh, maybe not. There's no picture of a scapegoat there? Did we miss the scapegoat? Um, is it in there any, anywhere in there? Let's make Al the scapegoat. Let's make Al the scapegoat? There's no scapegoat pictures there? How about on the other slideshow? Did you do a different slideshow? Oh, you didn't show those. Oh, cruddy. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know. You're sure that's not in there, though, in any of the pictures? Oh, we didn't transfer them over from last week. Okay. Because those are, that, those are pretty cool. Okay. No, no, we got we got to go way back. I don't know where this is coming from. I've got several <laughs> pictures of a scapegoat on that on that presentation from last week. Yeah, it's kind of hard, and these are pretty these are pretty good here. But uh, anyway, you work on that. Anyway. Uh, in the middle of that, so, so we have this scope. Now, what, what I, I, I wanted, that, that's what I was trying to do is I wanted to make it as real as possible. And, and um, what I really wanted to do is I wanted to have access. I wanted to bring a goat up, <laughs> a goat up here. 
Yeah, there's some of them. You, you, you get, you're way ahead of me. There's not several of them in a line? How did they all get mixed up? Oh, can you just go to last week's presentation? Not now. You've already changed it. Okay. All right. Well, we'll just go forward. You'll get to see some of it. Um, I wanted to bring a goat up here, but I thought, well, that's going to be hard to do that. But there were actually two goats, and I don't know if you can get me the two goats. Um, there were two goats, and they were brought uh, with him to that temple that day, and they, were, they, were, they cast lots uh, to choose which one of them would be the offering and which one would be the scapegoat. Okay? Once, that cast was, once that lot was cast, the scapegoat was set aside for a second purpose. So you kind of get a picture of the two goats. Uh, they're there. Lots were cast for one and the other. The first goat is sacrificed. The blood is taken in and offered, and then comes the offering of the scapegoat, sometimes translated as the escape goat. That, so the scapegoat, scapegoat is brought in or brought out. The priest takes both hands, and this is this is why I, this picture that I had was just um, just picture the priest with his hands on that goat, wrapped around the horns, and he's got it on this scapegoat. And, and, and it's the only offering in the history of Israel where the, the priest actually takes both hands. He uses both hands to do this. He faces the goat, and he puts his hands on that goat, and with that happening, with that happening, um, that transfers all of the sins of Israel onto that goat. It's where you get this image of the, of the scapegoat, somebody taking somebody else's responsibility. Tradition says that not only would they take the sins of them and lay them on that goat, they would take a red cloth. You got another picture of a red cloth? They would take that red cloth and they would lay it over the top of that goat maybe tie it around its neck uh, or around its horns somehow, and once that sin had been transferred over to that goat, that this particular priest would be invited to take that goat out into the wilderness. They would be taking that out into the wilderness. So 12 miles away from camp, that's how far they would have to take this. They would take that so that, so that there was no possibility that that goat would ever come back, Right? But tradition says that after a while, that because of their fear that that goat might actually return back and come back, you know, the, you know so think about that. This goat is returning and it's coming back with the, with the sins of, of Israel. Um, that's why they took them out 12 miles outside of, you know. Now they took that symbol seriously. That goat was, in fact, their sin. And so rather than just taking them out in the wilderness and leaving it there, which is what they originally did, they took it out and then they let it go and it would run off. And They began, first of all, to hire a Gentile to do that job because no Jew wanted to, to be the one taking the scapegoat out there. In fact, before they started using Gentiles, the, the Jewish priest would have to come back 
he would do that, he would leave the goat, and then he would have to come back, he would have to take a bath and, and be ritually cleansed because he had been made unclean by, by the goat. And, and not only would a Gentile take him out there to leave him in the wilderness, he would push him over a cliff. That was the cliff story. The, and that's actually a priest, but, well, that might be a Gentile. I don't know. Looks like a priest. But anyway, they, they would push him over the cliff. Why do you think they did that? Make sure he's dead, right? And uh, to make sure that he died there in the wilderness and he could never come back to camp. I would say that he can't come back now. But the red cloth then was brought back by the priest. So the red cloth was brought back. It was hung on the door of the tabernacle of the temple. And when that goat died in the wilderness, Jewish tradition would, has, tells us that this red rope turned white, clearly symbolizing that the sin of Israel had been forgiven for another year. Every year the goat comes in, the high priest lays, on his, hand, lays his hands on it, puts the red rope around the, uh, around the goat, uh, they take him out into the wilderness, the priest brings back the red rope, and they hang it in the tabernacle, and they put the, the, the goat over the, 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 the cliff, and the goat dies, and the rope turns white every year until 30 A.D., until 30 A.D. Jewish tradition tells us that in somewhere near 30 A.D., from 30 A.D. until 70 A.D., when this rope was hung in the temple, it stayed red year-round. It never turned white. The sacrifice of bulls and goats stopped having effect. The blood of bulls and goats could no longer cure sin. The mental image that Israel was supposed to have is what I hope would be, uh, will be the mental image that you're going to take home with you this morning. All of your sin, everything that you've ever done in the past year, since the last time that you, sac that you had made a sacrifice, gets placed on the head of that goat and then this goat is led out. When that goat passed outside of camp and Israel recognized that their sins had been forgiven for another year, there was just an outburst of celebration, of adoration. It's the kind of mental image that I, I think that you should have when you think um, about this, that, that everything that you've ever done Every sin that you have ever committed for a whole entire year, year after year after year, was brought to bear on the head of one goat and then sent out, out of the camp so that you could mentally picture the fact that God had once again redeemed you. Does it remind you of anyone? Remind you of any particular event? I, I want to show you something in the book of Hebrews where the Hebrew writer is trying to help Israel. You can turn there. Jewish Christians here, um, he's trying to help the true Israel, Jewish Christians, capture this image of what had actually happened in their life when Jesus came. See, the difficulty for the Jew of that era was to understand that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah and had come to take the place of bulls and goats. And so you have, to, you have in Hebrews chapter 9, for example, these statements, verse number 1. Take a look at this. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. 
A tabernacle was set up in its first room where the lampstand, the table of the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the curtain, second curtain, was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the golden covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Um, Verse number six, when everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people uh, that they had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. Come down to verse number 11. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciousness or our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Verse 24 For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all, at the end of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Chapter 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Verse number 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Do you hear the story? 
year after year animals are offered for sin until one person who came to be a once and for all sacrifice for you. And when Jesus went to the cross, when Jesus shed his blood, he provided, he provided forever forgiveness, never to be repeated, never to be offered again. No more coming back year after year to be reminded that you're once again sinful in need of cleansing, a once and for all sacrifice that allows you to live in the relationship with God that removes your sins. The psalmist I love this. The psalmist says in Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12, removes your, your sins as far as the east is from the west. Well, the other way. East is from the west. Or tucked away in the book of, a little book of Micah, among the minor prophets, chapter 7, verse 18 and 19, he says that he has taken our sins and he has crushed it underfoot and buried it in the ocean floor. In fact, Audio Adrenaline, some of you may be familiar with, the, with their song, picks up on that very imagery, the chorus of their song. I want to listen to what the chorus of their song is. Here's what it says. They're all behind you. They'll never find you. They're on the ocean floor, speaking of our sin. Your sins are forgotten. They're on the bottom of the ocean floor. Your sins are erased and they are no more. They're out on the ocean floor. We, we, we come and we hear this once and for all sacrifice, this one who, who knew no sin, who became sin for us, that, that we could be forgiven. And that to me is the greatest news in the history of the world, that we're forgiven, that, that our sins are erased, never to be ever offered uh, again, never to have, it, have to have it uh, be brought back to you. It's gone. That's good news, Right? The gospel comes to you with the offer of allowing God to come into your life and to provide you with forgiveness, forever forgiveness, to make you whole, to make you complete, to make you clean, to give you life. Now, there's no false promises here, right? Honesty demands that you and I say to people, it's not going to be easier, right? It's not going to be Life will still be hard. Not, not everyone goes, uh, you, you know, not all of our problems, not everything goes away overnight. Yes, there are still going to be some difficulties in our lives, but, but you will be forgiven once and for all. That's, that's what the Bible tells us. That is the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No more coming every year, right? No more scapegoats sent out into the wilderness, no more red cloth hung on a nail. No more waiting for the priest to go into the holy place. Uh, only, our, our, our priest, our high priest, our great high priest, Jesus Christ, sat down. His work was over. They came every, every year to be reminded of their sin. We come every week to be reminded of our forgiveness. They shed blood of the goats annually. We come once because someone already shed his blood for us, and we celebrate it around this table. We come remembering that there was a once-for-all sacrifice given for us, and we don't ever want to forget that. And so our invitation this morning, 
our invitation is really to the table. We're invited to the table to be reminded of the forgiveness of Jesus that purchased, um, that was purchased with his blood. And so my prayer, here's my prayer this morning, is that we will do this today as an act of worship. I know it's 10 after 11 and in and, and time, you know, we're, we're kind of winding down, but that we would still, we would look at this as an act of worship. We would think about this and focus and enter into this as an act of worship to literally involve ourselves in that process as, as you think about what God has done in, in and through Jesus Christ. As you journey to the front here, or to the back, to receive the Lord's Supper, to think about the journey that Jesus took into the wilderness as your scapegoat and mine. And that's really our invitation this morning. This, uh, Susan's going to have a song, or is that, I think it's a video. Is that video set? Okay. Um, there's going to be a video that's going to 